Welcome to this week's message from a new church. For more information, or if you'd like to contact us, please visit our website, newchurch.nz. Thanks for tuning in, and we hope you enjoy this message. Kia ora koutou, everyone. How's it going? Happy New Year! Who's excited about 2023? Who's excited about church? And who's excited about Jesus? Come on! Um, for those of you that are new or don't know me, my name's Simon, and we are pastor of the church along with my incredible wife, Christy, and a great group of people, and it's our first day back. Um, oh, officially, unofficially, I've been around for a week or so, but my first time preaching, and I'm so excited about it. Hopefully you guys are as well. I've misplaced my iPad, so I'm using my MacBook this morning. So uh, what do I preach about the first time I get back uh, to work? And, and a lot of pastors along the country, it's like, well, we're going to do vision cast. But so often we wait for our vision cast messages until like March or April because no one's ever back in the mode to, to actually think about vision. Um, but anyway, it's, it's usually like setting the, the, the course of the year. And usually it's directional, like vision's all about priorities and, and where we're we going as a church and a directional message, which is amazing. And we, we may do one of those, but uh, more importantly, I think, is the foundation. Um, what we are, our foundations as people and as a church. So directional is where we're going, but foundational really is who we are, and everything is built upon our foundation. So it's incredibly important. And I really wanted to share about um, some very significant and crucial um, Christian foundational things uh, this morning uh, that um, that I've had a breakthrough in um, towards the end of last year, and honestly, I've been a Christian most of my life. I feel like I was born in the church, uh, but I've struggled with a lot of areas in my foundational walk, and it wasn't until, like I've been a pastor for how many decades now, uh, it wasn't until last year where we were at a conference, it was a leadership one, um, and C3 here, Phil Pringle was the guest speaker, he just said something about sonship and servanthood, um, and, and the light bulb went on, and it was a real aha moment for me, and it was a, a, a real crucial thing. I was thinking, it's taken me like nearly 50 years of my life and I'm still dealing with foundational Christian things in my life because if we don't get the order of our found Christian foundations, things will be distorted in your life. You will think wrong, you will behave wrong, um, and because it's it's an internal thing, it always affects other people as well. So this is a, a real watershed message for you guys um, and it's going to be hopefully something that Few of us in season will grab a hold of. My, my prayer is that it will change all of our lives. Uh, welcome to people on live stream, by the way. Um, come to church in real life uh, because being in church is amazing. Um, I think a couple of another couple of reasons why I've struggled with this so much is um, I, I grew up in a church movement that was absolutely incredible, but it was very um, outward focused and, and doing stuff, so task focused. My dad, I absolutely love my dad. He went away to be with the Lord a couple of years, a few years ago now, but he was very task focused as well. So um, with, with that understanding and, and going into my Christian walk, it's been very much task focused for me, and, and, and sort of the servanthood part has been really big, but. Um, going into a deeper understanding of what true sainthood is and what true sonship is, um, and, and the right order, I think it's absolutely incredible. So that's a, a real brief, hopefully it was brief, uh, introduction this morning. The notes are on the Bible app. Um, that's the only time you should ever be looking at your phone in church, is if you're looking at the Bible app and if you're like doing scriptures or you're looking at the notes, everything else, put it on airplane mode, 
That's what real Christians do. Okay, so let's have a look at these three areas, saints, sons, and servants. The first one is saints. What is a saint? Now, most of this world, when you think of a saint, it's like in the Catholic Church, they are these incredible, super elite Christians that have done something extraordinary in their life, and for whatever reason, they get a special place in heaven, and so much so that uh, you get to pray to them, and they get to intercede on your behalf, and they help you out, and only a few people are called saints, and they have churches based on them, named after them. That's what a lot of people think when you see or hear the word saint. The problem is it's completely not in the Bible, um, and it's heresy. So just probably offended every Catholic on the face of the planet by just saying that, but it's true, nevertheless. So what is a saint? What is the biblical word and meaning? How do we translate it? It means holy one, and a saint is someone who is set apart for a special purpose. That's what the word saint is. And the New Testament uses the word saint about 67 times, and every single time it is Uh, describing every single one of us. Every person that has given his life or her life to Jesus Christ, you become a saint. We are saints. That is our identity now. Now, we were sinners. Then we gave our life to Jesus, and we become saints. We are no longer sinners. Now, there are a lot of people that say, well, I'm just a sinner saved by grace, and there are songs um, named after that. Again, it's a heresy. When we've given our lives to Jesus, we are no longer sinners. That is not our identity anymore. Stop calling yourself a sinner because you're lying. Now, sometimes we are saints who sin, but a sinner is absolutely not our identity anymore. When we give our life to Jesus, straight away, you become a saint. You become a holy one. God sees you that way, and you are set apart for a specific purpose. That is who you are. So our foundations are Jesus, and then we understand we are a saint. You're no longer a sinner. That is not your identity anymore. You are no longer a slave to sin. It's not your identity. So stop calling yourself a sinner. It's not true. And the incredible thing is it just happens. We can't earn this. We can't work for this. In Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God. It is a gift of God. Not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. I don't know if you guys enjoy war movies. One of my favorites, uh, Saving Private Ryan. And huge spoiler alert right now is, um, who hasn't seen it before? Guys, too, too, too bad. Uh, I think if something's like more than 20 years old or 25, it's like, uh. so there's a guy called, say, uh, Private Ryan and all of his sons have been killed in, uh, sorry, all his brothers have been killed in battle. He's the only one. So, um, the powers that be send in a squad of guys to save Private Ryan and take him home to his parents because he's the only one of their offspring left. So the whole story is the squad of guys, one by one, they get killed trying to save this one guy. And at the end, Tom Hanks, who's um, Captain Miller, um, he gives his life to save Private Ryan. And he's there and he's dying, spoiler alert. And um, Private Ryan is there saying thank you. And Tom Hanks's last words is, earn this. Like, earn this. And then it sort of fast forwards until Private Ryan now is an, an old man and he's looking at the grave of Sergeant Miller and he's he's bawling, he's lost it emotionally. He's, he turns to his wife and he says, have I done enough? Have I really earned it? 
Now, that's, that's, that's a cool plot for a movie, but it's so true to how many Christians, we, we think that way. We understand that Jesus has died for us, but we go throughout our whole life trying to earn what he has already done. But it's a free gift. He's done it. It's, I think it's probably offensive to Jesus, actually, if we try to think we have to, to earn salvation. It's a gift. He's given it to us. It's like you, you give a loved one a gift. They say, oh, no, I need to pay for that. It's like, no, that's almost offensive. It's a free gift. I'm giving this to you. Jesus has done it all. It is finished. You are saved. You are a saint. You can't earn it, so stop trying. Hopefully that just takes the pressure and the weight of so many of us. Unfortunately for me, if I was to be blatantly honest, you know, you think, well, I got to do better. I got to do this. I got to do that to prove and to, to show that I love Jesus. It's crazy. Saints, our identity, absolutely number one foundation. Jesus, then you are a saint. You are no longer a slave to sin. You are no longer a sinner. That's not a part of your identity anymore. I want to talk about servants. And the, the a theme of the New Testament is all about servanthood. We, we serve others and we, and we serve Jesus. And Peter and Paul, at least once of their letters, I think, if not more, they, they actually introduce their letters as, I am a servant of God. That's a, a big theme. We understand we're servants of God. One of the, the, the major parables in the New Testament is the parable of the talents. And it's all about um, Jesus or God is the master and we are servants and God gives us stuff to do and we are expected to do what he's asked us to do, to be good servants. And then at the end it says uh, the master comes back and, and if we've invested, if we've um, done what he's expected us to do, he says, well done, good and faithful servant. So we understand that's the theme of the New Testament. Um, and we are to be servants of God. So probably out of saints, servants, and sons, this one's been the one that um, I've grabbed a hold of the most in my life. And it's been a big deal to me. I actually wrote a song <laughs> called Well Done, Good and Faithful Servant about it. And there is something with this theme that if we can grab a hold of, again, it will be life-changing for us. The blessings for being a servant of God is, is, is one of the biggest ones is simply this. A servant will be successful if he just does what his master asks him to do. A servant will be successful if he just does what the master says he will do. So say if the master goes to a servant and says, I want you to... To, to do some gardening over here, and um, and that's that's what I want you to do. But that servant thinks, I don't want to do any garden, gardening. I want to build a swimming pool. So I'm going to go and build a swimming pool, and I just think it's going to be amazing. The master never, ever told the servant to go build a swimming pool. So the master comes back, and it's like, I'm looking forward to this amazing vegetable garden. And the servant's saying, well, I, I didn't want to really do that. I wanted to do, like, make the swimming pool. And, and, the, and the master's saying, well, actually, I gave that responsibility to someone else. I wanted you to do what I asked you to do. Jesus simply wants us all to do what he asks us to do. So what, who is, and I'm just talking about pastoral circles because it's this, the sphere that, that, that I'm in. You can have a pastor of a mega church and you can have a pastor of a small rural church, say, of about 20 people. Do you know that servant of that rural church, if he does what God asks him to do, will be have just as many rewards as that pastor of a megachurch. 
But what happens if um, the pastor of the mega church, actually God has been calling him for years to do something different. But he wants to be more seen as successful more in the world's eyes than in God's eyes. And this is completely liberating. If we can grab a hold of this, it, it, it makes our identity so secure and it fills our hearts with joy. If we understand what our call is, what, what our master Jesus is actually asking us to do, and then just do that with all of our heart. It may seem weird in the world's eyes. It may not even look successful in the world's eyes, but it will be a million percent successful. You will be in God's eyes. So I absolutely love that about being a servant. But what are the pitfalls? Servants can fulfill their duty without any relational connection to their master whatsoever. So you can do what your master asks you to do, but you know you don't even have to have a relationship with him. But what did Jesus say, I think, in Matthew 24? Like, I did this for you, Jesus, and I did this, and I did all of these things. And Jesus says, well, I actually don't even know you away from me. But that's the pitfall of being a servant. You can do a whole lot of stuff, especially if you love serving others and, and you love serving the Lord and you love ministry. You can do all of that and really have no relationship with God whatsoever. It's a pitfall. Another pitfall is servants can be driven by the need to perform well to be accepted by the master. I, I, I want to please my master. I've got to do this so well. I've got to do, I've got to preach better than I did last week and I, the week before that. And I've got to do this so much better because then I'll please Jesus. You're only going to burn yourself out and you're going to be in a whole world of pain if you live that way. Believe me. Another pitfall of a servant, servants can serve without being invested and having any sense of ownership and responsibility. Oh, you can serve and do something. It's like, well, I'm not invested. This is this is the master's property. It's not mine. I'll just do it, and I'll just do my job. And there is no investment or ownership whatsoever. Jesus talks about this in John 10, verse 11 to 13. He says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. The servants can fulfill their duty without any relational connection to their master. Servants can be driven by the need to perform well, to be accepted by their master. Servants can serve without being invested and having any sense of ownership and responsibility. But what say you're a, you're a shepherd of that flock and your dad actually owned the flock? and you knew that you would inherit all of that um, one day, you would be invested, you would take ownership. It wouldn't just be a duty for you, it would be a call. Which brings me to my third point, which is sons. So we've looked at saints, we've looked at servants, and that is a theme in the New Testament, that we're servants of God. Sons. Which is really interesting because if you look at the, the Old Testament, this whole theme of God as Father, it is there. Like there are some verses that talk about God being Father, but it's actually not a big theme of the Old Testament. A, a far greater theme of the Old Testament was being servants of God. Uh, but this whole thing about sonship, that God is our Father, uh, it becomes a major theme in the New Testament. And we see this very clearly when the disciples ask, Jesus, how should we pray? And Jesus straight away says, our Father, 
who is in heaven. So this idea of God as Father is absolutely a huge major theme in the New Testament. And we got to understand what true sonship is in the of uh, what it means in the New Testament. So, if I can work my computer. I'm having some trouble, but that's all right. Bear with me. Galatians 4 verse 5 onwards. And I love this verse. It's also echoed in Romans 8, verse 15 to 16. I think that's in the Bible notes on your, on your app. So I'll just read from Galatians 4. It says, God sent him, which is Jesus. So God sent Jesus to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. That's an incredible line right there. That God adopts us, every single one of us, as his very own children And because we are his children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father. Now you are no longer a slave, but God's own child. I'll read that again. You are no longer a slave, but God's own child. And since you are his child, God has made you his heir. Other translations say everything God has belongs to you. That's... That's an absolute phenomenal paragraph that God actually adopts us as his own son. So when we call sons, we, we, we know it's like, it's, it's not gender exclusive, it's sons and daughters of God. That word there, adoption, literally means to place as a son. And Paul was an absolute expert in Roman law. He knew what he was talking about. So when he talks about um, adoption here, you can absolutely guarantee he had all the understanding of the intricacies of Roman law and how adoption uh, law in, in the Roman culture absolutely worked. So we got to sort of dig a little bit deeper because we say, oh yeah, I'm a son of God. Now, what did that actually mean in the culture of the time? And how did the listeners that originally heard or read what Paul was saying, how did they understand adoption? There's three massive blessings, and uh, I, I want to share this with you today because it's absolutely life-changing. Firstly, identity. The adopted person gained all the rights of a fully legitimate son in his new family. It wasn't a second-rate son because it was an adopted son. He, everything, like, he gained all the rights. In the most literal, literal sense and in the most legally binding way, he got a new father. In the eyes of the law, the adopted person was literally and absolutely the son of the new father. When the, ch- when the person was legally adopted under Roman law, his past ceased to exist. He was considered a new person. The old life of the adopted person was completely wiped out. For instance, legally all debts were cancelled. They were wiped out as though they had never been, which Absolutely makes sense in the light of 2 Corinthians 5.17 when Paul writes again, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. You're no longer a sinner. You're a saint. So our identity, we are absolutely literally sons and daughters of the Most High God now. But it's not just our identity that's changed. It's also the permanence of adoption. A father could never disown his adopted son under Roman law. 
Once someone was legally adopted, the bonds could not be broken. It's pretty permanent. You're saying, well, Simon, are you preaching once saved, always saved? (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) But I do know that although in Roman law, the adopted father could not disown his child, the child could disown his father. You know, we've got, we've got a free will. And, and it's actually, it's, it's legal, you can legally do that today. It's called emancipation. When you want to absolutely have nothing to do with your birth mum and dad, you can, you can say, right, I legally, dis- I want to disown them. It's called emancipation. You can do that. So I think our, our salvation is a lot more secure than we think. Like, you don't have to come up on every altar call every Sunday when every, every guest minister says the salvation message if you've been saved. It's like, wow, I had 10 salvation messages, uh, op- decisions this morning. It's like, well, those people got saved last week and the week before. Like, our, our eternal security is a lot more secure than that. And that is so freeing when you think about it, that God is holding on to us. So, to, yeah, we do struggle. And if, if we if we lose our way, we got to run back to the Father. But we got to understand the truth of what adoption really means, which is incredible. Thirdly, inheritance. In modern law, we do not become heirs until someone dies. But in Roman law, all children of any age, natural or adopted, were already heirs while their father lived and had joint ownership and control of their property. That's why with the prodigal son and the prodigal son's brother, the prodigal son actually had more a a correct understanding of what inheritance um, meant because he understood it was his then and he asked for it. And the older brother sort of didn't understand that. So, yeah, we're saints. Um, I want to talk about servants again soon. But this sonship thing, if we can understand this, like for me, I am not there yet. I'm on a journey um, and it's growing deeper in my heart. But this is this changes the way you do everything, how you see yourself, how you see God, uh, how you see other people. And um, I've got a photo that's going to come up on screen and it, it's uh, popular. There was this one and there was another one of JFK's son, um, John F. Kennedy Jr. playing under the desk. So here's the President of the United States in, I think, the 60s sometimes. His, his two kids like, that's the Oval Office, right? Like, not many people in this whole entire world will ever get the opportunity of hanging out with the President in the Oval Office. And yet his two kids are there, and they haven't got a care in the world. They're dancing in the, the most sacred place on U.S. Uh, political sphere, and the President is there enjoying them. Isn't that the most incredible? picture and a comparison to how God the Father is to us, that no matter how busy God is, he will always have the time for us to dance in his presence without a care in the world. And yet how many of us think, well, God, you know, I've, I've stuffed up again. He's angry at me again. He won't want time with me again. I'm a failure again. Uh, I don't even think I'm really deserving to be a son anymore. I guess I could be a hired hand. pitfalls for being a son. Sons can take for granted their privilege. Sons can cruise through life because their inheritance is secure, and sons can remain childish. So we're called to have a childlike faith. We're never called to have childish or be childish. Like there's a phenomenon in the last 10 years or so, 20 years, called kiddos. It's like you're supposed to be an adult, but 
you're at home and you're playing video games and you don't do a whole lot of stuff. Um, probably offended all of the young people in the world again right now for that. But you think like 50, 60, 70 years ago, and, and people in their early 20s were, were flying fo- flying fortresses um, over the, the axis and like giving their lives, and yet we can't even do the dishes? Like, again, no offense. Um, <laughs> how not to build a youth ministry in your church. Uh, but we can almost have that idea as Christians. Like we get saved and we understand like we are enjoying the, the fatherhood of God, but we, we sort of forget that he's called us to mature and to take responsibility for what he's given us and actually do what he's called us to do. So, saint, son, servant, we have got to get that order right. Those three things are absolutely crucial and foundational to our Christian life. It's the, the main foundation is Jesus, absolutely. But what is built and the order that we, we understand those things will, will change your life. It's like building a house. You don't put the timber framing up before you, you lay the concrete foundation or you don't put the, like, you, you, you know that there's, everything's foundational. It's all structural, but the order in which you do that is incredibly important. And so we got to get this order right. So in my opinion, and I think it's the right opinion, Jesus first, we are a saint and we can't earn our salvation. It is a free gift. We are no longer a sinner. As soon as we give our lives to Jesus, we understand that we're a holy one. So saint, you're not a sinner anymore. You can't earn that. It's a free gift. Secondly, it's got to be a son. And then thirdly, a servant. Now, for me, I would dare say that in my life, for most of my ministry, it was servant first because I wanted to please God and I wanted to do right. And then perhaps it was like uh, a saint. But then again, I sort of was thinking, well, I got to just do better and better and better. And I got to earn all this because of what Jesus has done for me. And, and perhaps a son. Son was definitely third. And struggled with sonship. So as a result, how has that impacted my life? Well, you know, I always have felt in the past that I, I'm, I'm not doing a good enough job, that perhaps God is upset with me, that he's disappointed with me. Um, you know, I'm always looking for other people's approval. It's like, well, I wish I could be like that person over there, but, you know, do this. And so it's, it's, it's sort of, you know, life's not fun if you don't get this order right. Yes, servanthood is an important thing, but absolutely it needs to be built upon sonship and upon sainthood. Absolutely, else you're going you're gonna to get into strife. If we get this order wrong, we will struggle with being performance-driven, ministering out of duty only, insecure and unfulfilled, and always have failure issues. So I am really stoked that I heard those few words last year and it's opened up a whole new journey for me. And I think for a church, our direction's important, but first and foremost, foundational things are so much more important. So we are a saint, we are a son, we are a servant. But how does Jesus see that? Like, when he looks at you right now, what does he actually think? Because we're brothers of Jesus and sisters of Jesus. 
And, and Jesus actually says that, John fifteen fifteen, and this will blow your mind. No longer do I call you servants. It's like, what? Like, Jesus actually doesn't, like, well done, good and faithful servant. I was expecting that my whole life, to, to one, one day stand before Jesus, and he'll say, well done, Simon, my good and faithful servant. Like, I don't think he's going to say that anymore. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. Like, you can be a son and not really be a friend of your father. And, and sort of like, that there can be distance there. But, but Jesus is saying it goes much deeper than that. I call you a friend. Like, I want to hang out with you. Like, I don't, like, this is, we're talking about the Son of God, like, right now. He wants to be your friend. Like, I don't know if when you were younger, maybe you still do. It's like, man, I wish I had more friends. Why don't people like me? Like, Jesus likes you. Like, he wants to be, he's absolutely passionately wanting to be your friend. Let's have the band up, please. I want to finish with the prodigal son story, which actually is, is very profound in, in the light of what I've been talking about. So the background to this is there are two brothers. The younger brother uh, wants to have his inheritance now, wants to leave the, the, the family home and the family land, and he squanders all of his inheritance. He squanders all of his wealth. He comes to his senses, and he's thinking, well, even the servants um, of my father, they were treated like better than, than what I am now. I, I'm no longer worthy to be a son, but at least I can be a servant. Um, so he, he goes home to his father, verse 18 of, of Luke 15. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you. I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. So he returned home to his father and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming, which means his father was looking out for him. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. Um, and a little bit of an aside to that, um, if you had dishonored your father and you actually came back home, like it was, you, you were fair game to be killed by everyone in that family or, or around that family. So one of the reasons why um, scholars say that the father actually ran and, and grabbed a hold of him, like he was protecting him. Like he was saying, this is my son. Like no way is anyone going to harm him. That's how much he loved him. But thinking about saints and sons and servants, perhaps you are here today and you've just really had a shocker in your life or you've had multiple shockers or you've come back to God and you've fallen away and you said, God, I'm never going to do it again, but you do. And it's just, that's been your life and your history. And you're thinking, well, this whole sonship thing that God sees me as a son, I, I can't handle that, but yeah, I can, I can still be a servant of God. I really want you to understand today in the name of Jesus that God sees you as a son. No matter what you've done, like when you make that step back to God, he wraps a hold of you, he protects you, and the old is gone, the new has come. You can be a son. You don't have to have this slave servanthood mentality. You are a son of God. So just turn back to him today. You're always going to be a son or a daughter of God. And then the, the story goes, there was a great party, the party began, and so often preachers stop there. 
But there's a whole other part to that story. The older brother gets really offended at the younger brother and how the father's treating the younger brother. And he has this crucial conversation with his dad. His dad's saying, why aren't you celebrating with us? And the older brother's saying, well, I've always served you. I've always done this and I've always done this and I've always done this and I haven't really got any sort of thanks or anything. And uh, So I don't want to celebrate with this younger son who, who understands sonship. And so many of us can relate to the younger the prodigal son, but so many of us, I think, can relate to the older brother. We're, we're, we're servants of God. We love serving God. But we actually don't understand that everything God has for us now, it, it's, it's ours. And, and if we serve out of sonship and just not servant, that will change the way we, we do things as well. I sometimes look at other Christians and maybe they're not doing a whole lot of stuff, flesh and ministry, but man, they're full of joy and they love life and they're not anxious and they know God loves them and, and they're, they're living the dream and they are so free because they understand sonship. They're a saint. They're a son. Yes, they're called to serve, but not out of a slave servant mentality, out of a son mentality because they know that Everything they do, it's, it's, it's because they have an inheritance in God, um, and, and they're a part of that. So the older brother, but he didn't understand that everything the father had was his already. And he could have been serving out of joy and out of relationship, not just duty. So let's please be upstanding. And before I get into some ministry, I really want to... Um, play or just sing that last, the middle part of that second to last song basically says, Jesus, I open up my life to you. Have your way. Because if I struggled with this as a Christian for most of my life, I can absolutely guarantee there are quite a few of us in this room right now that also struggle with some of these things. Identity is such a huge thing. And I don't want you to, you know, take, for, for you to take decades and decades until you get this. We are saved by grace. It's, it's a free gift. You are no longer a sinner. You are a saint. I pray that that revelation takes a hold of your heart, not just a head knowledge, but your heart. And then we are sons of God. We are adopted into his family. And that is incredible. Everything he has is ours. All of our past is gone. Uh, we are forgiven. We are a new person. And yeah, we're called to be servants and God has got stuff for us to do. And we will be fully successful if we just do what he's asked us to do. So God, I pray as we sing this song that Holy Spirit, you would do something incredible in our lives that we would open up our heart. As we were praying in the, in the pre-service prayer meeting, God, when, when, when the message was preached, you touched people's hearts and then they asked, what do we do now? I pray that we would be in that posture of obedience to you. Lord, that we're saying, God, this is a message for me. Lord, I open up my heart. Lord, I want to take that next step. Holy Spirit, do something incredible in my life right now. Thanks so much for listening. We hope it was an encouragement to you. To contact us or to find out what's happening at our church, please check out our website, renewchurch.nz.